Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, please open our hearts. Let us receive from your spirit that we might change to be more like Christ, that we might live kingdom-first lives for his honor and glory. Amen. Please be seated. Each summer, we do a study in a, typically, it is a New Testament epistle. Um, They are short enough that we can go verse by verse through the entire thing over the summer. Um, In our tradition, it is hard to take an entire book uh, because of the seasons, which they dictate what we do. Um, and, And rightfully so, it is a wonderful way to organize the church. However, during the summer season, it's nice for us to be able to take a book and just kind of start at the beginning and go right through it. Uh, This summer, we're doing the book of Ephesians. Um, This is, um, I know you shouldn't probably have favorite books of the Bible. I mean, they're all inspired and they're all great. But this is one of my favorite books. Um, It has had a very huge impact on how I think about the faith um, and hopefully how I live. Um, This book was written later on in Paul's life. Um, He has experienced quite a bit more from the point when he wrote Galatians, probably his earliest or one of his earliest, um, until when you have Ephesians. Um, There's a maturity in this book um, that is profound. Um, It takes all of most, if not all, of Paul's thinking and kind of distills it. Um, It is a beautiful, wonderful book that is challenging Um, practical, filled with theology, and yet very, very down-to-earth at times about do these things. I am really looking forward to this book. Um, One of the first things the book is going to tell us to do is to bless God. And even before diving in, I want to say something about that. Because to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's actually a little scary in a way. Um, I understand God blessing us. I even understand somebody, a friend, doing something to bless me. I get that. Many of you probably at one time or another even gotten an email from me saying, you've been such a blessing to me. But typically when I'm saying that, Or even when I'm talking about God's blessings to us, I'm talking about something that was done for me that I feel there's a benefit. Now, the word can mean nothing more than to praise. And it does carry that, to honor, to say something good about somebody. However, when you get into the way that Scripture uses that word most of the time, Abraham was blessed because God delivered him from his enemies and made him wealthy. Moses was blessed because he was redeemed out of Egypt. And when I start thinking in that way, I go, how in the world can I bless God? Back when I got ordained, uh, within about a month of the time I got ordained, um, the archbishop came to the church, and I was given an assignment to go help him out. 
to go be a blessing to him. And I remember thinking, like, I've been wearing a collar for a month, and, and this guy has, like, I get into his presence, and I feel blessed standing there. I'm sure in my presence, he just feels annoyed. <laughs> How in the world am I supposed to bless him? What could I do? Have you had a person in your life where, like, you know how they benefited you? Like, you know the things they do for you? And then you think to yourself, wait, I'm supposed to somehow benefit them? How do I even do that? How in the world do we give something to God? And as Ephesians opens, verses 3 through 14, which we're really going to pay attention to this morning, they tell us both why we should bless God, but also how. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're starting right at the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll just let you know, as we go through this particular series... Um, if you are not used to following along in the Bible, you might want one. Right, one of the things we're going to do in this series, which is a little different from what we typically do, and I think it actually fits Ephesians well. Normally, I'm going to take a paragraph, and I'm just going to break that paragraph apart a whole lot. We're going to cover more scripture at a time during this series. We're going to paint pictures, all right? and it will be helpful to follow along in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, st standard greeting. Um, he's writing to an actual church. Now, it is likely that this particular letter was not intended just for that church, but it would circulate around Asia Minor. Right? It would hit multiple churches, a circular letter. Um, it is a kind of summation of what Paul teaches and has been teaching and believes, and he's in prison while he's writing it. And so he gives it, and it's going to circulate among churches. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you would expect in reading any other letter that Paul writes is to jump down to verse 15 now. For this reason, I have heard of your faith in the Lord, and he will begin to give thanksgiving for the people he's writing to. That is what he does in his letters. But this letter, verses 3 through 14, are stuck in there in place of that, which gives you some idea of how important they are. Right, and let me tell you something else about them. It is 202 words in Greek without a period. Now, what would your English teacher call that? A run-on sentence. I mean, this is like, he just starts going. This is Paul's longest sentence. All right, now, you'll notice in English, it's broken up. It has to be. Um, it would be such an awkward sentence in English if you didn't break it up. And you'd be going, and English people especially would be reading this and going, that hurts. All right? So one giant sentence. And I'm going to tell you before I start the way in which I'm going to fail you this morning, okay? I just want to get it out there and start it right off the bat so that you understand. Most of you, if not all of you know, 
Aaron and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage, and we went to Alaska. While on this cruise, we saw perhaps the most beautiful geography we've ever seen. Uh, by far, the most beautiful I have seen. Uh, it is hard to explain how amazing, how beautiful, how majestic it was. Now, I've had the chance to show people some pictures, and the pictures are phenomenal, um, thanks to Derek Brown's camera, not to my ability to take pictures. But they are, they are amazing pictures. And yet, as I am showing them to people, inevitably I am doing this. It just doesn't quite get it. I mean, as beautiful as this is, it, I, I, I can't convey, you, you kind of have to stand in the midst of, well, on the ship, not in the midst of Glacier Bay, because that would be really cold, standing on the ship and seeing it all. You're overwhelmed. It is so gorgeous. That is Ephesians 3 through 14. What we're about to read, what Paul is saying is true of us, it is so big and amazing and majestic. And, and these words and even what I'm trying to convey, they're like looking at a picture that the truth is even bigger than that. So keep that in mind. Here we go. Verse three. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to stop there. Um, that Paul says on the surface God is to be blessed. God is to be praised, or God is blessed. God is praised. However, there is an implication behind this, if not stronger, there is a command that you could read this as bless God. Not just that he is blessed, but that we are to bless him. And this is where I pulled that beginning from, that Paul starts the entire thing off by saying, God is to be blessed. And then he begins to say why. And here's why. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing, and spiritual there does not mean some kind of mystical, intangible kind of thing. It means blessings that are given through the Spirit. They are real. Right? These are things that are actual. They can impact your life right here and right now. They're not just these kind of things that are out there somewhere. And he begins to elaborate. And here we go. You ready to get the elaboration? He's going to give us all of these blessings. And I don't think this list is complete, but it is huge. Here are all the things that are true for those of us who are in Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, number one, you have been chosen. You are chosen by God before creation was even begun. You have been chosen. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love, and I'm going to come back to that. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. 
you have also not only been chosen by God, but you've been adopted. And this, this word, it means to take somebody who is not blood-related to the family and to bring them into the family officially to the point that they get an inheritance. They are an actual child from that point. You and I have been adopted by God and pulled into his family. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And he didn't do it on accident. And nobody twisted his arm. I know that some of you feel like, well, if God picked me, he must have been like bullied into it because I don't deserve this. This was according to the purpose of his will. He wanted this. He wanted you. He chose you and said, I want you to be part of my family, officially. Like I'm signing you in. I'm, the, the papers have all been signed and you're an heir. You're a child. And it's to my praise that it's happening. Think about that. You being chosen and adopted are actually to his praise. Keep going. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And the two things go together. One is a statement, and then the other one helps understand it. We have been redeemed. And specifically, we have redemption through his blood. When Paul wrote this, and actually all the way through this section, there is a bunch of imagery that is connected to the Old Testament. I'm not taking the time to bring it all out but I wanna just touch on this one thing right here. When he says you've been redeemed through the blood, he is most likely thinking of the Exodus. He most likely has the Old Testament story in mind. Right? They were redeemed and the story's being repeated. We are being redeemed. Right? The way that they were redeemed is that God in his power overcame the power of Egypt and rescued them out. The same thing is true of Christ. Christ overcame the tyranny of our slave master, sin, by defeating sin. How did he defeat it? What is the worst thing that sin can do to us? Death. Well, sin did its worst to Christ. He died, but what happened? He rose. He defeated death in the way that Yahweh defeated Egypt. He defeated sin, and we have been rescued. And if you think of Paul's language, like in Romans, we have died with Christ and then been risen with him to new life. We have been forgiven of sin because we have new life. His son rescued us. You were chosen, you were adopted, and then you were rescued by the blood of his son as he died on our behalf and rose again. And now our sins are forgiven. 
breathe. Take that in. He keeps going, according to the riches of his grace, we didn't deserve this, which he lavished upon us. Not just like, here's a little bit for you and a little bit for you. He is lavishing this on us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. It's not just that he redeemed us. Hey, you gotta hear this. I think this is just so awesome. He actually let us in on what he's doing. The divine creator of the universe has a plan that he's working out. And it wasn't only that he said, I'm choosing you, I'm adopting you, I'm delivering you, I'm setting you free from your sin. I'm also going to reveal what I am doing. I'm sharing my plan. And that was done in his wisdom and insight. It was the right thing to do to share this with us. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All right, step back from yourself for a moment. You and I are part of something that is bigger than the salvation of our individual souls. God's plan is bigger than rescuing individuals. It is the complete redemption of the cosmos. It is the reuniting of heaven and earth. Do you remember when we started this thing like nine months ago and we're in Genesis and we're talking about creation and God together, heaven and earth, with God resting and sitting over all of it, ruling. And then man rejects that and there becomes this division of heaven and earth. And yet, if you go to Revelation 21, heaven and earth are coming back together again into one. This is that language that God's plan all along in Christ was to unify heaven and earth together again as a new creation. And he's revealing that to us. And not only revealing it, Again, this is not a new paragraph in Greek. It's a new paragraph in English, and it looks like a completely another thought. It is not. It's flowing right out of that. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. All right, if you are Jewish, inheritance is not some mystical crown thing up in heaven. Like, here's a bunch of crowns, and you can wear them for a while while you're up there, and then you're gonna like give them back or something like Revelation says, That is not inheritance. Inheritance is land. And in fact, in families, most of the time, it would have been whatever they owned. If you get an inheritance, you get whatever they owned. If you tie this together with a new heavens and a new earth, with resurrection, do you understand what he's getting at here? How real this is? He is going to reunite heaven and earth into a new creation and we have an inheritance in it. Now, I'm not gonna go as far as what I'm about to do, but I wanna paint a picture. It's almost as if he says, there's a plot of land and new creation with your name on it. It's that real. That's how tangible this is to Paul. 
Hey, I don't want you thinking that like, oh, it's just something that's way off and doesn't really affect me right now and it's some intangible thing that is up there. And Paul is saying that is not the plan. The plan is to bring all of this back together, to reunite it in new creation, that you have resurrected bodies and that you have a place in this new creation right now. You have a place, an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And this is because God wants it. This is to God's good pleasure. What he is giving to us, what he has done for us, he actually wanted. God wants you as part of his plan. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And once again, it brings him honor and glory to be doing this through us, to be offering this to us, which again just blows my mind. I am just not sure how I could ever bring glory to God. When I look at my life and all of my failings, I look at all the ways that I've messed up, and I think, and yet he chose me and he adopted me, and he delivered me, and he forgave me, and he revealed his plan to me, and he said, I'm giving you an inheritance. You're a part of all of this, and it's to my glory that you are. That is almost overwhelming to think about. I was taking a walk this morning. It was 5.30, I'm walking through, there's a, a park that's near our house, and I'm walking through the park, and it is just like that pre-dawn, so it's not dark, dark, it's pretty dark though, um, and you can see the moon still, but you can also see that beginning, a very dark blue that is in, and I'm taking this walk, and we have in our neighborhood a lot of rabbits. What I discovered that it, at night, they have a giant bunny convention in the park. And I am taking this walk, and I am not kidding. They are just like darting in front of me. They're out moving out in this. I felt a little bit like Snow White. I'm just walking along, and I'm waiting for birds to start landing on me as I'm doing this. But there were these two bunnies that are sitting by the curb, and most of them were kind of like running off, you know, and walking by, and they're just kind of looking at me. And I walk right by them, and they don't run. They're just looking. And, and I could swear they're going, hey, dude. How you doing? It's kind of early. Um, and as I'm walking, I thought, that is just so bizarre. Like, it's not, that's, not, that's not our life. That's not the world. But it is the world to come. When the lion and the lion, lamb lie down together in this new creation that is going to be at least something like what God intended in Genesis 1. And it just, there was this glimpse as I walked by these bunnies. And it was a, this is so bizarre, and yet this is exactly the kind of thing that is real. It's not just a far-off dream. It is real. And it is so real that he says this. In him, you also, um, and in Greek, by the way, he has gone from, um, there's all of these uh, third-person pronouns where he's talking to the group that way, and he moves to the second person, you. It's as if he gives all the information, and he gets to this part, and he says, now, I just want to make sure you get this. And it's like he looks at the churches, 
He's looking at the people and he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And he says, all right, I just listed a whole bunch of crazy, ridiculous, amazing, majestic things that are true about you. And you may be thinking, I don't know. Like, I'm not 100% sure of this, and, and, I'm, and it's not totally sinking in. It feels a little unreal still, and I'm not sure. And Paul says this, you have been given something that actually shows you not only that it's real, but that it's going to happen. You have been given, first, you've been sealed, and that is the seal that would go on something to prove its authenticity. If you get a letter from the king, it has to have a seal to show that it's actually from the king. The Holy Spirit was God's seal and his guarantee and the guarantee is you want to go purchase the land that cost $1,000, you put $100 down. And it says, yes, I'm serious and I'm going to do this and you're going to get the rest of it. The Holy Spirit is both God's seal of authenticity as well as his guarantee that this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit was given to us to say, here is a taste of the reality that you are going to fully get when I recreate heaven and earth. It is that real. Now, here is my problem. I struggle with self-confidence. Sometimes my failures are much larger than my strengths. Sometimes when I look at what I have to do or accomplish, um, in fact, when I, even, even to the point, when I was taking some of those pictures on the ship, there was one point where we're in Glacier Bay and there's all of these folks and they'd open up the front of the ship. Our room is actually on the front of the ship. So we're in our balcony and I'm taking these pictures and they open up the front of the ship and like, I don't know, maybe a hundred or more people had gathered down there to look off the front of the ship. And I'm taking pictures, and at one point, I start hearing them. Somebody, they're talking. Somebody down there is talking pretty loud. They're saying, yeah, yeah, look at him. Yeah, look at him. He can take our picture. And, I'm, and I do this, move the camera over, and I look down. They are all staring at me. Because one of the ladies who works on the ship was down there, and she saw me take some pictures, and she thought it'd be funny to get all these people to look at me and get me to take their picture. I froze <laughs> because I do not like being in front of people. <laughs> you can just ignore what I do for a living. <laughs> but I am, I was, I got so nervous because I started thinking like, I mean, I know, how ridiculous is this? What if I screw the picture up? How do you screw the picture up? You just take it. None of them are going to look at it ever again. But I'm like, what if I screw the picture up? What, what if, I, and I, I just freaked out because I have a lot of insecurity. I often live out of that insecurity. And here's the thing. There was a painting recently discovered in an Arizona garage. And this painting was later on, and it's being looked at right now. Um, it was appraised, looked at by an art guy 
They spent $50,000 looking at this painting. Um, and they are convinced that this is a Jackson Pollock and would be worth as much as $15 million. Now, when they told the family that, the response was, Jackson who? <laughs> I mean, they literally had no idea the value of this painting. And to be honest, the painting looks like it could have come from Walmart. I mean, it doesn't intrinsically, just looking at it, the painting itself, I can get that. I'm like, I would have looked at that painting and been like, okay, babe, do you want to sell this away? Sell it to a garage sale? What do you want to do? I'm not even sure I put this up in my house. It's, it's not that the painting itself, just the, the, the ink and the, the canvas, that's not worth $15 million. Its author makes it worth $15 million. And people are willing to pay it because they believe the value of that author. And here's the thing, I actually am a screw-up. I really do sin. Um, I really do not get things right. Some of my insecurities are quite valid. Um, I have a lot of weaknesses. That is true. However, I am called not to live out of those weaknesses. I am called to live first out of the identity that the author has given to me that says, I have chosen you, I have redeemed you, I have adopted you, I have forgiven you, I have made you part of my plan, and you have an inheritance in what I am doing. What if that's my starting point? Not all of my failures and the things that I screw up, but I start here going, wow, look who I am in Christ. And that is such a significant phrase, in Christ. That's who we are. And you and I, we are in Christ. And if we start there, then we can answer our second question. How do we bless God? I mean, honestly, how in the world do we give him anything? Here's how we do it. Look back at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, and I want you to ignore that period, in love. And you can put a period right there if you want to. Here's the thing. All of this, it has not been given to us so that we can boast in it. It hasn't been given to us so that we can sit around in little groups and we can talk about it, how amazing it is. How amazing it is that we're adopted. And let's talk about all the nuances of what adoption means. And let's talk about all the nuances of what this means and that means. And let's argue through some things. And we were not given that as a status symbol. The reason he did this in our lives is so that we might serve him. You want to know how to bless God? Be holy and blameless in love. That's the whole purpose. Not just so we can think about it, talk about it, think it's neat, but that we can live out of it and we can live holy and blameless lives in love. Now, what does that mean? Holy means to consecrate oneself, to set oneself apart for God. 
We are called not in a single action, but as a life to say, my life is set apart for you. All these things you've done for me, I'm going to set my life apart for you. And I'm gonna follow through. Blameless does not mean you will never falter. It doesn't mean that you're gonna never sin again. What it means is you're gonna follow through with this. You're gonna set yourself apart and for the rest of your years, live this out. And when you fail, we ask forgiveness and we get back up and we keep going. And we do it all in love, which is gonna come back a couple other times in Ephesians and it's gonna come throughout the entire Bible. But we're gonna do it in love. We are not set apart to be holier than thou buttheads. You've seen those, right? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Doesn't happen that often. We are set apart that we can live as Christ lived in love. That's our setting apart. Right? We have been given this amazing, awesome, wonderful gift that is so big that I just, I don't feel like I can fully describe it. I don't feel like I can fully even get it myself. I'm hoping you at least got a glimpse. But we've been given that so that we can live out of it. And it's really hard to live for God when we're living out of our failures, our insecurities, all of those things that we hate about ourselves. When that's the dominant thing, how do you live for God? But when you're looking at him, and this is what I feel like, the problem with all those people on that deck looking at me is what was around them. How would you want to be looking at me? You could be looking at this. Stop looking at all your failures first and look at your God who has said, I'm choosing you and it's to the good pleasure of my will. I'm choosing you and adopting you and it's to my glory. I'm gonna rescue you and forgive you. I'm gonna bring you into my plan. I'm gonna give you an inheritance. You are that person. Live out of that. I had this really neat, um, listening to sports radio the other day and, uh, and, and they're actually talking sports which is amazing sometimes on sports radio. But what they were doing is they were playing some of the phone calls when Jerry Jones was calling the guys that had been drafted. They were cool conversations. I mean, imagine yourself as this like 20-year-old college student and you get a call on draft night from Jerry Jones. There's only one reason he's calling you. And you answer that phone, and of course he says, hey, it's Jerry Jones. And I mean, you all know what he sounds like, right? Even you who don't even watch the Cowboys know what he sounds like. I'm sure he does not have to introduce himself. He can just say hi, and you know who it is. He says, hey, it's Jerry Jones. You've been drafted to the Dallas Cowboys. And these, like, 300-pound men start weeping. <laughs> I mean, they get it. Like, they're becoming Dallas Cowboys. Could you imagine what that would feel like as a college student? You are joining the Cowboys. I mean, this thing you've been dreaming about, you've been thinking about this for a really long time. Like, I might play professional football. You are 
and the owner has just called you and drafted you. See, they got that part. But here's the thing about those conversations. Then the head coach would get on the line. And he said to every one of them, congratulations, blah, 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 blah. Got all that. Are you ready to work? Are you ready to work hard? Their number one draft pick, Taco, Marinelli, Rod Marinelli, said to him, this is the defensive coach, said to him, are you ready, and I can't use the language, to work your off? Notice what happened. They got who they were. We've just been made Gallus Cowboys. That is so amazing. That is so awesome. My mind is blowing. But you were not made Dallas Cowboys so that you could just go around and tell everybody, woohoo, I'm a Dallas Cowboy. I'm awesome and you're not. <laughs> you were not made a Dallas Cowboy for that. And I can tell you this, if you don't do the second part, if you don't work your off, you will not be a Dallas Cowboy very long because that is why we drafted you. Not for the glory, you'll get that too, but to work and work and work for the team. You and I were chosen by the creator. We are on a team that is so much bigger than the Dallas Cowboys, but it wasn't for bragging rights. It was that we might work our off for the glory of our God in Christ. That's what we're called to. Don't let your choosing go to waste. Live out of it for his glory. That is how we bless our God, by using what he has given us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Help us every day, every year, as we walk with you to gain a greater appreciation for the amazing grace that you have put into our lives in all of the ways that you have already blessed us in choosing and adopting and forgiving in revealing your will to us in making us part of your plan and giving us an inheritance and giving us your spirit, all of it, Lord. Let that sink in, that that is who we are. And because of that, we can live for you. Lord, help us to give it all, to consecrate our lives to you, to follow through with that, to live in love for your honor and glory. In Christ's holy name, amen.